This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. Into the end zone for the touchdown. Hollywood Brown has been spectacular. Connor to the five and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Bring it on, bring it on. Touchdown, Saban Collins. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. All right, according to Saturday Night Live, the football season is already over. Did you guys see the cold open to Saturday Night Live this last weekend? I, I, I was made aware of that, yes. I didn't. Fill me in. Danny Sarek, Darren Urban, yours truly, Paulie Podcast. It is Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. Saturday Night Live says that the Super Bowl doesn't count as a real football game because it's just about the commercials and the halftime show. And that football has already ended. And so the whole skit to open it was this whole lamenting that there's nothing left to do on weekends, especially if you're a middle-aged guy and you have nothing else to do with your weekend. And, uh, and then they made snide little uh, jokes along the way that there's no other live TV worth watching. Yuck, yuck, right? Because that's what Saturday Night Live is, other than NFL football these days. Of course, the TV ratings do back that up, considering more than, what, the top 53 rated shows in america this last year were all nfl games how do you, how do you feel about that concept as a uh, a non-middle-aged guy Danny? <laughs> what what concept the football one that it's over and now we have nothing better to do well it's not over super bowl hasn't happened is that the only answer i'm confused regardless, am i being set up for something regardless though <laughs> danny always danny Quit al- looking so deep into this stuff danny always has more going on in her weekends beyond football anyway this is so true that's a moot question either way so this that doesn't true. matter by the way, speaking of this last weekend, I'm just here to say what I do with them right here. That um, guess uh, what? The socks. Um, guess what? Uh, these didn't work. These didn't work. They, uh, did, they didn't work. The tags are still on them. Yeah, so that yeah, that's right. Just as proof, I did so not wear them. How much are they them. worth now? I did not wear them. I don't know. I should put them on eBay, perhaps. But my wife's best friend, Detroit native, sent these to me, and uh, they well, were neither worn no. nor embraced. Well, maybe that's why they didn't work because they weren't worn. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's Paul. How about way, a little accountability? My wife, uh, Detroit native, uh, man, was she letting me have it in the first half of that NFC Championship game, and then by the second half, she wasn't even sitting on the same couch with me. She was so frustrated. So, as a Bay Area native, Paul, were you rooting for the 49ers? I was not actually, and I said this, and I'll say this again, and let me say it for the record, and I'm not even believed in my own household. At Casa Calvisi Bingo Card, I said that when I moved here some 25 years ago. If you're leaving your family and friends behind, if you're leaving your upbringing behind, then you most definitely can leave your sports allegiances behind. Immediately upon arrival in the AZ, I adopted the Cardinals, the Suns, the Coyotes, the Diamondbacks, right? The only thing I truly root for anymore that I have roots with going all the way back would be the alma mater. And that'll never pay off in my lifetime as Cal has already proven. That's true. Yes. Wait, when you moved here, Coyotes were already here? They just they arrived the very next year after I arrived. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah. yes, indeed. You know how I remember that because I were you at the unveiling of the nickname? 
I was not. That was uh, pre-me covering the Coyotes. I was still covering high schools in those days. So they got everyone in the auditorium, and they unveiled the Coyotes' nickname, except they made the minor mistake of putting the other finalists up on the board as if it's multiple choice. And so as they unveiled them, the nickname Scorpions got a standing ovation, and Coyotes got a golf clap, and Coyotes won. As we all know. Anyway, that's sort of a marketing 101. You really don't want to make that mistake. I, yeah. Look, when it comes to the Super Bowl matchup, Detroit is obviously a better storyline than the 49ers. Like you can be objective and and see how impressive it is that the 49ers getting as far as they did last year and not getting to the Super Bowl pretty much because of injuries, which is part of the game, and being able to get back here and even further this year, that's still impressive. I had a friend who's a Cardinals fan, and while she wasn't necessarily cheering for the 49ers, she wanted them to win over Detroit because she feels that San Francisco has a better chance of beating Kansas City than Detroit did. So everybody else was thinking about it playing checkers, and she was playing chess, which I thought was an interesting mindset to have watching that championship game. I, I, I get the Chiefs fatigue idea. I don't have it. Um, it it's funny because my, my youngest son actually was getting mad at me that I'm, I don't have cheese fatigue. Like, he was getting angry. And I'm like, why? Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. I'm like, what does that mean? So, show of hands, who has KC and or Niners fatigue going into Super Bowl 58? I'm like halfway there. I, here, here's why I'm halfway. I understand the fatigue. I, I don't fault anybody for feeling that way. I still think that this Chiefs team is more fun and more likable and more it almost feels more blue collar than when the Patriots were in their heyday and understanding everybody had Tom Brady and Patriots fatigue when they were going on their run I do think it's impressive what the Chiefs have done considering they've had turnover really on offense like key offensive pieces and it's kind of similar in a sense to the Cardinals where you have your quarterback and Patrick Mahomes and your tight end and Travis Kelsey and then the wide receivers have been inconsistent in their production in Kansas City. Kind of similar to the Cardinals with Kyler Murray and relying on Trey McBride and the wide receivers didn't have a lot of production. I can understand, though, the fatigue of this is what, their fourth time in six years, making it five five years, making it to the Super Bowl. It's impressive for Patrick Mahomes, for Andy Reid. I also get if you're kind of sick of it. So I'm kind of in the middle. I I agree. I, I don't blame anybody if they have fatigue. I, I don't know why it would be held against me if I didn't. I 100% agree with you that the Chiefs are, to me, way more interesting than the Patriots ever were. Now, part of that is by design. They're allowed to be interesting, and Bill Belichick didn't let his guys be interesting. Because Belichick would win a Super Bowl and then at the parade chant, no days yeah, off. Yeah. So Not real interesting. I don't. I, I'm not a huge that that's one of the reasons it doesn't bother me. And, and obviously some of the other stuff that are allegedly bothering people we we're Paul and I were just talking offline about how certain TV networks are really going off the deep end in terms of Taylor Swift stuff in terms of like what this what this really means other than just a guy dating a famous woman and having to be at a football game but anyways besides yeah, that it's a lot deeper than i ever imagined yes i will say that i have 49ers fatigue but that that's going to be natural f- for somebody like me who's covered them in the same division for 
almost 20 years and you see them twice a year and and all the NFC West teams are kind of boring to me because I see them all the time. Like, yeah, I don't really feel much better for the 49ers going to the Super Bowl or if they win being like, oh, well, the Cardinals at least lost to a team that made it to the Super Bowl or like that. I don't really feel that. And I the whole Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift thing is interesting to me because I feel like when it first started, it was so exciting, right? That like it I don't have the numbers. It felt like we were seeing her a lot more during the games. Now I feel like we're hardly even seeing her. And personally, I don't have a problem with the crew the camera crews going to the suite where Taylor Swift is after Kelsey has a big catch or a touchdown because they do that with a lot of family members of those big players. Maybe not as much, but really they're not even showing Taylor Swift that often during the game. And I actually I think it was a lot more for me at the beginning of seeing things online rather than cutaways of Taylor Swift during the games. I kind of thought it was cute watching them celebrate on the field. And when Travis saw his brother Jason and his family, like she kind of took a step back and let them kind of be the two of them and was trying out of the camera shots and wasn't really trying to get things on her. So I personally don't really have a problem with it. I think people who are rooting against the cheese for the sole fact that Taylor Swift is dating one of their players is, I mean, don't you have better things to spend your time on? But I guess not. Two things. Like my first thought is when they do show her, it's like two seconds, just like as they bounce around all the celebration And she's happy and cheering. She's not sitting there with a sour look on her face. Like, well, when the whole suite is doing the swag surf dance, that's pretty solid, you know? And then you learn that, okay, KC plays that whole swag surf song, at the beginning of every fourth quarter, which I was not aware of, sort of like what the Steelers do with Renegade, which we just experienced on the road in Pittsburgh. I believe and then, we talked about that on, yeah. the, on the podcast. And then Zay Flowers mocked it after his touchdown catch. There, He got the guys together and they did the whole swag surf touchdown oh, yeah, celebration and the whole deal. So, okay, all right, here we go. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure how any of this turned political, but apparently it has. <laughs> I didn't, was not aware of that. Although I am fully expecting, this is my joke earlier, was that with her flight coming from Tokyo after her Saturday night performance and making it all the way back to Vegas, which she should be able to make via private jet, you know, are they going to track it sort of like on Christmas Eve, NORAD tracks Santa's sleigh? You know, you can do that. Probably. Somewhere, somehow, they'll, they'll track it all the way back. But the respect I do have for Kansas City, as fatigued as I am, of the whole Kelsey storyline and everything. And by the way, how do you not cover Travis Kelsey? How does he have 11 catches on 11 targets? Maybe the game within the game for me is what can Steve Wilkes and that Niners defense do, if anything, to neutralize Travis Kelsey. It's funny you bring that up because one of the first things I saw after the Super Bowl was set is, oh goodness, uh, Spagnolo will have two weeks to prepare for the 49ers offense. I wonder what that's going to mean. Right. And, and there's no doubt Lamar looked lost at times, although Todd Monken, what are you doing? They, Lamar had eight rushing attempts, and five were scrambles. And other than that, there were eight rushing attempts by the Ravens. You're the number one rush team in the NFL. It was never more than a 10-point game. What, what, I think teams go against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and the whole Chiefs aura, and they feel like they have to reinvent themselves. Have to one-up whatever Mahomes is going to be able to do that that was kind of the difference of watching the games of the Ravens getting away from what they were good at in the run and the 49ers despite getting run all over by Detroit to start the game San Francisco sticking with their plan and what they were good at and despite being down sticking with the run and then being able to rely on the passing game and what Brock Purdy was able to do and scramble and some of those throws he was able to make that was kind of the difference between watching those two teams as the Ravens got away from the run 
the 49ers stuck with it. In fact, when the Lions were rushing for a buck 48 in the first half alone, I was watching the game nodding my head saying, this is exactly why the Cardinals are building the offensive line. Because that's what the Lions started with in the rebuild. They got Penny Sewell as a motion right tackle. There were some crazy alignments, and Ben Johnson was scheming it up. But it was all revolving around the power run game and dominating a Niners team that's known for its front seven. So if you're going to dethrone the Niners in the NFC West, what's the best and quickest way? Boom, build your offensive line, which is exactly where the Cardinals are going as a top-four rushing attack. We've talked about the whole Honolulu blue print Danny right the whole deal there and so I thought the first half was affirmation as such second half obviously got sideways on Detroit but getting back to Kansas City real quick you're talking about a team that was negative 11 in turnover differential in the regular season there were only three teams that were worse they had 44 drop passes I saw which was the most by any receiver group in the NFL yet in the AFC championship zero drop passes so they're playing their best ball at the best time you know, they they at one point they lost five out of eight during the regular season. Kansas City. I mean, it's th- remarkable. This year's Chiefs are just like the 2008 Cardinals. <laughs> there you go. What was the parallel, by the way, to the? Uh, oh, we were talking about Dan Campbell and what he said after the game that oh, yeah. you never know you'll be back to this stage. Yeah. Are the Lions a young and upcoming team? Absolutely. It's no guarantee. Look at the Cardinals after 2008. Look at the Cardinals after 2015. A couple of NFC Championship games. But those stand by themselves. There was no follow-up. Even though the Chiefs lost two years ago to Joe Burrow, and they've been to two Super Bowls in the subsequent seasons. I mean, Niners, obviously, right? Lost a couple years ago. Boom, they lost last year in the NFC Championship, won this year. But it's no guarantee and Dan Campbell is acutely aware of that. Campbell told that to his team after that loss was it's going to be twice as hard, even if they have the core pieces staying. And it's it's that's the truth, though. It's it's not easy to get to that point and to do it multiple years back to back. That's what I'm saying is impressive about the 49ers and what the Chiefs have been able to do. It's not easy. And, and that's just the unfortunate truth of getting that far. And even if you have a lot of those key pieces, doesn't mean you're going to have that same success the next year. Well, and again, look at what the Cardinals went through. And the, the teams are different. The, the Cardinals were an older team uh, going into 2016 after they lost the NFC Championship game to the Panthers. But, I mean, they didn't even make the playoffs the next year. And they, were, and they weren't a bad team, but... Every little thing that they needed to have work for them didn't. You know, they lose that close game to the Patriots the first game yep. of the year yeah. with Tom Brady suspended. Uh, that's the year of the tie, the famous tie with the Seahawks, where the most physical game I've ever seen. Agreed. And they should have won that game in regulation, and then they should have won it in overtime, and they blew both of those and ended up with a tie, and it just wasn't there. And you don't know how those little things are going to impact where you go or how it might happen. Even when the, the Cardinals made won the division the following year after making the Super Bowl, they actually had a better regular season record. But you just you just could tell it was like an uphill climb the whole way. And then you get to it and you talk about how well the Chiefs are playing right now. Like the Cardinals still had a very good team in 2009 going into the playoffs, but they they went through that crazy uh, – roller coaster of a game to beat the the Packers at home the 51-45 game. Yep, young Aaron Rodgers. But then they they played 
a red hot Saints team on a short week, and you don't know what's going to happen. And 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 that's the thing. The Lions could have a, another solid year. They could win 11, 12 games. They could win the division. But if you run into the wrong team at the wrong time, I mean, again, it, all it takes is the NFC equivalent of what the Chiefs are doing. This it, year. it does feel like though that Detroit has the foundation set. This doesn't feel like a one off from the success. Well, and the flashes that we saw. Keeping their offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, around, who now he just turned down any chance to be a head coach, that's a huge thing to me. What are the Seahawks doing, by the way? So at this point, is it still Dan Quinn and Mike McDonald? Are those it's, your? It sounds like those are probably your two, two choices. And there might be a decision by the time this is uh, up and available. That's uh, how close the Seahawks might be uh, on that front. But in terms of the fatigue, uh, guess what? Ticket sales say otherwise. Right now, they are trending towards a record price on the secondary market. An average sale price, average sale price right now of $9,900, almost ten grand per much, ticket. How much do you think that those fancy seats at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas, where it's like the club, you know what I'm talking about? Like you've got your own waiter and the big tables, and they have an actual TV, even though you're on the field watching the game. I wonder what those are going for. The whole stadium, though, has a nightclub vibe to it. Yes. That, yeah. And you know what? Two years ago when the Cardinals went there and pulled out the miraculous win and Kyla Murray, right, scrambling around for 21 seconds and the whole thing. I mean, that was Cliff Kingsbury's takeaway after that game. This feels like a nightclub, the whole stadium and the whole table service and everything. Oh, well, coach, I'll take your word for it. I really wouldn't know these days. Quick uh, quick sidebar on that. Uh, somebody asked this week that they, they really want to go to a Cardinals game in Vegas. And I realized they don't play there again in 2030. Well, will all three of us be at that 2030? game in 2030? We know that Six already. years? We know that? Well, yeah, because you only play you only play the Raiders once every four years. And so why the next one's going to be in, in Arizona. Mm. See, that's why... Cardinals Raiders needs to be a preseason game every year. Forget Cardinals oh, Broncos and it might every be, year, but I don't think this guy wants to go yeah. to a preseason. No, I'm game. not saying he does. But if you got if it's if it's that or wait till 2030 if you want to check out the stadium. Jeez, I mean that makes no sense. You didn't we, answer, nobody answered the question. Should we make predictions now and put it in um, what's the word I'm thinking for? Like a, a little box that you bury in your oh, time, uh, time capsule. capsule. Prediction <laughs> of the game or prediction whether we're going to be there? I don't know where well, I'm going to be. You thir- are really harping on you want a you want a solid answer on what my for, plans are for, six years from not, now. Well, not Darren. just your plans. Forget about also 20, Paul's. I mean, thirty minutes from now, I'm not sure what's happening. Forget twenty thirty. Are you kidding me over here? It's uh. All right, speaking of numbers in the championship be games, here, before uh, we move on. <laughs> so there were three words that were trending on Sunday night. Take the points. Talking about Dan Campbell, talking about the pair of fourth downs, talking about the pair of failed fourth downs when you had a chance to kick the field goal and take the points. And it's somewhat relevant to the Cardinals, is it not? Mm-hmm. Considering the Cardinals had the fourth most fourth down attempts of any team in the league well and we had one game again it's a random regular season game and not the nfc championship but we we went through a game where jonathan gannon passed up field goals twice in a game that the cardinals ended up losing by five in houston yes that's right and and here's what was remarkable to me and i i get it's not your father's NFL, and the analytics are going to dictate a lot of the decision-making. But Wall Street Journal did a story about the win probability in those two situations. The first one, because the Lions at that point were leading, if you convert the fourth down, you have an 85% chance of winning the game. 
if you kick the field goal, you have an 82% chance of winning the game. There's only a spread or a difference of 3% in win probability for the much less risky kicking the field goal. Well, and then in the second one, because you're trailing, it was 28% versus 26%. Only a 2% difference in win probability. It's hard because the argument is, do the analytics take into account momentum and how the game is going? And, and that's the discussion. And it's hard because we're not in the room with the analytics and, and how those decisions are being made. I think it's a fair point. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. I think about two the Lions and that Cowboys game, right, of, of having a, that two-point conversion, right, where they had like two or three chances, all those penalties. I mean, is is Jared Goff accurate enough? Do they feel like the connection he was having with his receivers was strong enough in that game that that was reliable? Did that come into play with the analytics and when you're talking about how the game is, is playing out at that point? It's hard, though. I will say I do respect post-game Dan Campbell at least kind of standing his grounds but also recognizing why people were talking about that and just kind of saying like you have to stay with with what your gut is saying and and doing what you've been doing all year what's worked to get you to that point and by the way going for it on fourth down is not a formula for victory carolina led the league in most fourth down attempts with 48 and the giants were third with 37 but but again here's i'm gonna argue the other side I, i look in the moment when it was 24 to 10, uh, my thought process was um, kick the field goal. I'm talking about the first one now. Um, my thought process was the 49ers were down uh, 24 to 7 at halftime. They kicked the field goal. Yep. And then you have a chance to just you, – you, you basically have a chance if you kick that field goal, in my opinion, to wipe out the first eight minutes of the third quarter – having any meaning because you've just ixnayed whatever points they got out of it. And if not that, you would make it a three-score game as and well. You, and you would make it a three-score game. I, I that That is true. Now, I will say this. It would have been a 47-yard field goal, 46-yard field goal, okay? Now, I don't have Michael Badgley, the kicker. I don't have his... So, I do. It, his career on field goals between 40 and 49 yards, 77%. Okay. That's his career percentage. But at 48 and above, and I know 46 isn't 48, but at 48 and above, it's only 45%. Hmm. My guess is if you figured out 46 and above, it's going to be noticeably lower than 77%. Because there's a, to me, there's a big difference between 40 yards and 46. And by the way, this wasn't like the game in Baltimore where it's raining and it's cold no. and there's wind. I mean, it was 73 degrees in also, the Bay Area. they were... I think they were two for two going for fourth downs to seal up to an important moments earlier in the playoffs in their first two playoff games. And, and they made them yeah. and they, yeah. and that's where they yeah. got like, again, when you, when you look at it, you're, you're not wrong. But if, if it was, you're, you're also assuming going back to your win probability that he makes, again, the field goal has to be made. Now, would it have been made? Maybe, probably, I don't know. My point is I'm just surprised that the win probability wasn't greater by converting the fourth down, thereby verifying the decision to go for it. I, I just expect it to be a greater spread. And, and I get it. You know, you're trying to go to the Super Bowl. You want to be aggressive. At the same time, the first opportunity, you had a chance to make it a three-score game. The second opportunity, you had a chance to tie the game. So that's why I take the points was trending, and it sparked a lot of debate, obviously, 
Um, and it's a lot of new school versus old school. But well, I mean, I, I, I will say this. One of the things that's been disappointing to me is this argument, and it got, it's gotten really strong. And it reminds me of some other arguments that we have in our culture these days where there's the damn breaks and then everybody just says they can say whatever the hell they want. But, like, this idea that, like, football is is has no business with any analytics and this is – come on. Like, you just – when you tell me that, when you say that to me, you come across as disingenuous, number one. I, I feel like saying, okay – Let's take analytics out of the game. I, I, when I grew, when I first started watching football, um, there was not a pro team in town, and I latched on to the Pittsburgh Steelers when I was that age. It was like the, it was the late seventies. They were really good. You're eight years old. You're gonna find a good team. My mom, my mom found me an NFL Steelers jersey at a garage sale, and so they were my team. <laughs> yeah. it's, they're black and gold. It's it was, tough colors. Yes. Okay, so every once in a while, I would track down a, a v, VHS tape, tape of like a, of a live broadcast from like 77, 78, 79, right in that area. And I'd like to just, I, I kind of like watching those old games. If you watch the Pittsburgh Steelers or any NFL team, maybe except for the Chargers in those days, playing, then it's, it's, all, it's almost, you can't recognize it as football. Like they get up to line of scrimmage, there's one or two receivers out there. There's two guys in the backfield every time. It's run, run, pass, run, run, pass. And all the passes, there's nothing short. You're throwing at least 15 yards down the field. It's a crapshoot 50-50 whether it gets completed. I feel like saying, wait, is this the game that analytics aren't allowed to be in? Because let me tell you something, that game you keep talking about does not exist anymore. It's a completely different game. So if we shouldn't have analytics, should should Bill Walsh never have been able to do the West Coast offense? Which, by the way, when that started, everybody thought that was like uh, bullcrap football. Like, oh, you're you're not going to man up and run the ball. You're going to throw all these short passes. And come on, bravo, Darren. That was a good rant. Thank you. And analytics are so much more than whether or not you're going for it or kicking the field right. It's it's. it's the the way that offenses or defenses are lining up or how likely they're able to you know how many safeties do you have out there and, and what formations are you like there's so much that analytics are it's so much more than just these field goals or two-point conversions or going for it on fourth down or pass or run play like there's they are an analytics play a role in every aspect of the game now it kind of it's similar of like almost like an offensive lineman right you don't really talk about it unless something bad is happening and so analytics don't really get talked about unless situation like this we're going for it on fourth down and people think you should be kicking a field goal or situation what the cardinals found themselves in a couple times this year of are you going to kick the extra point are you going to go for two here are you going to try and score again later if you're down two scores all of that plays a role to to me and this is the last thing I'll, i'll say on this which is ultimately how do we know in fourth down and i'm not talking about these particular two plays but in fourth down how do we know that it hasn't been been wrong the whole time that you're doing it that doing it that way where you don't go for it one of the reasons people always used to punt is because the way offenses were that you had no chance to pick up three yards on fourth down because all you did was run straight up the middle <laughs> well I, I took this little blurb off nfl.com i guess i probably should attribute it to the author i don't know who it was but I, I do agree with this statement. You guys can agree or disagree, and I know you will. This person wrote on NFL.com, as is the case with every analysis of a fourth-down decision, the outcome 
ends up outweighing the logic by a significant margin. This will again be true when Campbell is criticized for his calls, but we must note that this criticism comes from a place where hindsight is the ultimate privilege. Well said, I, I, well argued. I think that's fair. Like, again, I there were, number one, I'm not going to say there weren't plenty of people before the play. And I'll be honest, on the first one, I was sitting on my couch going, you're going to kick this, right? Like, just kick this field goal. Three-score game, kick it! But, but I do think that generally the criticism of all this comes – most of it is hindsight driven and, and outcome driven and you can't you can't make decisions that way. That's called coaching scared. So speaking of uh, it's not the same game or there's not even a game anymore. That's my segue, Danny, to the Pro Bowl, which is going to be in Orlando, which I just found out. I thought it was still going to be in Vegas, but uh, once again, I'm Danny wrong. Paul, Paul, goes, Vegas. Paul I'm goes, wrong. Are you going to Vegas? Like, well, I'm I'm going to Orlando. I'm like, why is she going to Orlando? Like what? What's go- you could have stated the Excalibur, which is the Overflow Media <laughs> Hotel in Vegas, which I cracks me up because <laughs> I I went to the Excalibur with uh, some family when I was first opened way way back in the day. That wouldn't be my first choice. So to I don't stay in I don't Vegas. know Vegas well enough. Is that the hotel that has it looks like the castle? Yes. Oh, I have been there for like a show before. It's not a nice hotel. <laughs> no. Oh boy. Okay. Yeah. Hello. All righty. Well, they're not, a, they're not a sponsor. Uh, the main media hotel is the Luxor, which is the one that looks like the pyramid, correct? Yes, and yes. I don't know if it's true or not because I saw it online. So the take Doritos that for, thing? Yes, is that real? I guess. I don't know. Like with, I guess maybe going with Doritos, maybe their Super Bowl commercial it or something. Like, like one, like one of the sides of the pyramid is going to look like a Dorito. I, I don't know if the Luxor is the upper crust of hotels there either. That's the main media hotel, yes. Interesting. But first, the Pro Bowl in Orlando. Yes. Forget about Vegas and all the casinos. You're going to Disney World, basically. Yes, we don't. Not, we don't not, want to talk about not, the hotel I made Danny stay at. Not so. truly going. Yeah, uh, not actually going to Disney World either. But uh, <laughs> Buda Baker, Cardinal safety okay. representing, will be going. And I should crack myself. I think I was saying that Cardinals didn't have any Pro Bowlers going last year. That's not true. Buda Baker went, but he was dealing with the shoulder, uh, so he didn't do a lot. So correcting myself there. But yes, Buda is representing the Cardinals. So myself and one of our videographers are going to get some content. So. Should be fun. Okay. Another in a series of dumb questions. Is there still a game, even though it's, is there a flag game featuring the Pro Bowlers? Or did they eliminate that as well and the flag game involves like youth teams? I, that's a good question. I know that Sunday is the Pro Bowl games and they have a lot of different activities. And then that's on Sunday. That's one o'clock Mountain Standard Time on ESPN. And everything kind of starts on Thursday with practices and the skills competition. I'm not sure which players, like if if Buddha's part of the skills competition Thursday night quite yet, Um, but that's kind of when everything starts. Now, throughout the week, they do have flag football going on. And I think that's a combination of, I don't know if it's all local kids that are playing and, and NFL alumni and pro bowlers that are going to be participating in that. So I'm not sure if that's also happening on Sunday, like on the game day. But I do know that there are flag football activities and stuff going on throughout the week around AFC and NFC practices. All right, so Buda Baker is going to be there for the Pro Bowl. Uh, what do we know about Buda Baker and his future with the Cardinals? Is that in question? Have you fielded that question in the mailbag? For example, Darren Urban, and to what degree, Not- if any, do you expect a repeat of last offseason? I have not had that question come up in the mailbag because all the mailbag questions so far have been either ACL related or draft related. It feels like so far. Um, and by the way, we'll get to the draft in a minute. Uh, 
I don't I don't know what's going to happen with Buda Baker. I don't know. Obviously, they tweaked his contract a little bit last year to give him a little bit of extra money, uh, which is one of the reasons it kind of got settled. But his contract is still what it is, and he's going into the last year of the deal. And I, I don't know what that means in the offseason, quite frankly. And um, so I guess we will see. I mean, I do think some circumstances are different, which is, Budabaker now knows what he's dealing with in terms of a front office. He knows the coaching staff he's dealing with, and he knows the direction this is going. Does that impact his mindset at all? Is it is this going to strictly be about a, a monetary situation? Which, if it is, that's okay. That's it's business, you know. That's fair. Last off season, I believe Jonathan Gannon had been hired, but we obviously didn't know, and I'm sure the players didn't. You don't really know until you're actually practicing and stuff. What the future of this team is going to look like. And that was kind of when Buddha made the comment about possibly wanting a trade and, and by the end wanting a new contract. But by that point, Buddha still had two more years. So now he's in a contract year, but last year he wasn't. And so we were discussing about does general manager Monty Awesomefort want to set that sort of precedent of giving contract extensions? They did kind of rework some things. He didn't get an actual contract extension. So now that Baker has a full season with this staff having a better understanding of what this defense this team as a whole is going to look like has his mindset changed we don't know that answer yet haven't had a chance to talk with him about that not really sure even if that question's asked how honest he's going to be Um, but it is interesting now of has that mindset changed now that he's had a season with this team and with this staff and how is that going to change of if he still wants money? There's There there could be a, a possibility where Baker wants to stay here, but he only wants to play if he gets a contract extension. That happens across the league all the time. So now it's going to be a matter of going back and forth with the two sides, if that's the case, of trying to find a middle ground of what works best for both teams. In the uh, annual Cardinals Awards at azcardinals.com, did you two vote for Buda Baker as defensive player of the year? I did. I did. I did, I did not. I I did Jalen Thompson, although, and I and I did note in mine. I don't know if the blurb got in there, but I Kaiser White was a guy that I was looking at until he got hurt. He was my newcomer I, of the year. I, I'm not saying Buda didn't enter my thought process, but I I picked Jalen just because they rarely went to Buddha's side. He rarely got tried. He rarely got tested. It, it was um, by the end of the year, I, I came into a much greater understanding of just to what degree opponents were avoiding Buddha Baker, that quarterbacks would break the huddle. Where's three? Okay, I'm going the other way. And after games, there were quarterbacks and other players on other teams who would tell Buddha, oh, yeah, no, we weren't trying you today. That that was the game plan. We were going to the other side. Not only does Baker's presence affect the way opponents are game planning, but also elevating the players around him and his communication style and the way he plays with his technique and leading by example and understanding everything and keeping everybody in line and on the same page. When Baker missed with four or five games, it was five games, right, this year with an injury. Yep. yep. There were multiple games where we would come here on this podcast and we would talk about a problem with tackling. And it would come up of, would we be having this conversation if Buda Baker were healthy enough to be out on the field? I feel like his presence is felt, and you can really see it in his absence of when he's not out there. Yeah. No, he, he really is the, uh, the human eraser. Not just erasing ball carriers, but erasing other players' mistakes coming in. 
and being the ultimate safety net and uh, being so good in so many different aspects and communicating the defense to everyone else in the back end and then having the versatility to play a deep center field but come up in the box and even cover guys as a slot. Although uh, Jalen Thompson did a lot of those same things as well. So I get it. Now, as for uh, what was on this monitor when we walked in, the uh, Senior Bowl, does anyone have a Bo Nix update? Because, see, Bo Nix is the key to this draft for the Arizona Cardinals. You think? Because they need that fourth quarterback. They need the fourth quarterback to really make a run up the boards, like Trey Lance did not too long ago, like Anthony Richardson did last year. Could be Penix. It doesn't matter to me. Quarterback, TBD, somebody's got to make a run all the way up to number four. And I'm just saying that, uh, you know, Bo Nix, because the Senior Bowl is going on right now, was uh, getting a lot of love when the whole practices started. Who are the three quarterbacks for sure? Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels. That's going to be my guess. And so most of the mock drafts have those quarterbacks going one, two, three in this draft. Some of the mock drafts, though, have the Patriots at three taking wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr. I've seen that. That makes for an interesting mock draft if anybody's doing those on their own time. And I'll take that as well. Who would do that, Danny? I would take that as well, as long as there's a quarterback available at number four that's coveted by other teams. So then the Cardinals would be able to cash that in. What's interesting as well is Daniel Jeremiah earlier today put out his top 50 prospects on NFL.com. No draft order, just best prospects. You realize seven of the top 18 are offensive tackles. Love that. How loaded is this draft at tackle? which makes me wonder how much more apt would the Cardinals be to trade down from four, considering that this draft is loaded at tackle, and take either lower with that, with that number four, whatever it turns into, presuming it does, or even wait till 27 maybe, where like the U of A tackle or the Oregon State tackle is starting to climb the boards might fall to late first round. See, the thing you have going for you right now is if you have that many tackles, it's also the other possibility is that pushes receivers down. So let's say you you stay at four. I'm not. I I would tend to agree with you. If you really like a lot of tackles, it feels ripe for Monty to want to trade down. That being said, somebody's got to want to trade up, of course. But let's say you stay at four. You don't take Harrison, whether or not the Patriots do. You don't take Harrison. You take one of those top tackles. But all those other ta- once once the tackle goes, you get that run, and then maybe that pushes some good receivers down to twenty seven. Yeah, sure, you could. By the way, Joe Alt, who's considered the best tackle, the uh, three year starter, three year starting left tackle at Notre Dame. I did not realize he goes six eight three fifteen. So a little six, bit bigger eight. than you, Paul. So <laughs> I'm going to ignore that as I always do. Uh, just gratuitous in every way. Yeah, that's uh, true. Uh, the, that's how I operate. Uh, but so. There's always this debate, and I had it with Craig Griegel earlier, is Paris Johnson staying at right tackle? Is he going to left tackle? We don't know. And it all depends on who might play left tackle. If Joe Alt, a three-year starting left tackle at Notre Dame, is your guy, then guess what? It might make a lot more sense to keep Paris right where he is at right tackle. That's not a bad option. Paris Johnson Jr. had a great rookie year, went up against some stout pass rushers, proved himself, And also, especially with a quarterback as mobile as Kyler Murray, having a stout pillar of your offensive line as a right tackle is becoming just as important as having that as your blindside left tackle. 
It's it's not of okay. It's not as much I feel like now of okay. This our best offensive lineman has to play left tackle. If you can draft a left tackle that you think is going to be your future for a long time, can play very well for this organization. I have no problem keeping Paris over on the right side. By the way, do you want me to run through all the pass rushers that he faced in his rookie year? Yes, please. Here we go. Aaron Donald twice, Nick Bosa twice, Montez Sweat twice, two different teams. TJ Watt led the NFL with 19 sacks. Trey Hendrickson of the Bengals, second with 17 and a half. Micah Parsons, Miles Garrett, 14 apiece. The Pro Bowler Justin Matabuike from the Ravens had 13. Jonathan Greenard from Houston had 12 and a half. Kayvon Thibodeau of the Giants, 11 and a half. Hassan Reddick had 11. All of those guys at some point, if not most of the game, came off Paris Johnson's side, believe it or not. And I didn't even include Will Anderson Jr. because I ran out of space on Twitter. (laughs) Okay, so I mean, he got the gauntlet his rookie year. Uh, So you know a lot more about his readiness and how equipped he is. And by the way, he didn't hit no stinking rookie wall, according to Paris Johnson Jr. He said it repeatedly the whole month of December and January because he kept getting asked by all this media pencil, like, oh, geez, Paris, have you hit the rookie wall? No. He said, absolutely not. And what I liked about him, too, is at the end of the year, he said he evolved his practice techniques where he was getting some, he would talk to like a Zayvon Collins or a Dennis Gardak. He said, okay, this week I'm going up against TJ Watt, and he's known for this move. Can you please simulate that for me? I know you it's not necessarily your game the way it is TJ Watts simulate this for me and he would actually get some extra practice time against some of the Cardinals edge guys who he would ask to try and emulate the guys going against so for a rookie I'm like that's pretty next level right but again I don't know if he's going to be right or left and I think a lot of it's dependent on what Monty does in the offseason to fill that spot they're not going to they're not going to close the door either way on any of that stuff just because they don't have to you know, and, and, and why would you, you make that call? And again, as you sit here, it's funny, but every time you start thinking, oh, it might make a lot of sense to have if, if Marvin Harrison's there to get him, you, you, you fall back into this argument that we're having right now, which is and, and after watching what the Lions did this weekend, what the what the Chiefs could do running the ball and, and, and what the Ravens didn't do, but normally do in terms of running the ball. I mean, it just, it. I, I actually feel like it makes a lot more sense to argue to take the tackle early rather than the wide receiver. The more you get deep into it, is it a cop out to say that the Cardinals can't lose with either decision, <laughs> wide receiver or, or an offensive tackle up four? All, all I say is, having followed the Lions all right over the last twenty years, we talked about this last week when they were taking. You know, uh, Mike Williams or a Charles Rogers or even a Calvin. Jo- First two were bust. Calvin Johnson was a Hall of Famer. How were the Lions with a Hall of Fame receiver, Calvin Johnson? They weren't advancing in the playoffs. So back to Darren's point, you know, if you're going to try and be one of those elite teams, and I think Detroit finally figured it out, Brad Holmes and company, we're going to rebuild this offensive line. What I found intriguing by the Daniel Jeremiah ranking, by the way, is his number six prospect is a corner. Terry and Arnold from Bama, two-year starter, six foot one ninety-six, has great ball skills. They say he's very aggressive, gets after it as a tackler, which would fit the JG, right? Check that boxer JG doesn't want a corner; he's not going to tackle. So um, I wonder. I don't know if you take him at four, 
But let's say Atlanta needs a quarterback comes up from eight, and you're sitting there at eight. Do you take the corner out of Bama eight and then get your tackle with your second first-round pick? It's funny because we sit here and talk about the, tr- the possibility of Marvin Harrison. And, and Danny made the point that she saw the mock with Marvin Harrison going three. I would argue that for this team, it would actually be better if Marvin Harrison got drafted before they got picked. For all the same reasons you talked about, which was it would, it would push the fourth quarterback, or the third quarterback, Yep. Two four. Yep. And then and then there's a lot on the I mean, you're talking about how many tackles they are, you're talking about how many receivers there are. You could easily go down to eight and get a good tackle and then still get a good receiver at twenty seven. And get some extra draft capital. And get extra draft capital. And maybe use that extra draft capital to make a trade for a veteran pass rusher. Possibly. Maybe. The drum beat continues yes. to be beaten yep. by Danny. Yep. So, look, there's a lot to be determined, but at the Pro Bowl, Danny will get the latest, right? You'll get the inside. Absolutely. You'll figure out, you know, what's going sure on thing, over there. Paul. She's going to yell from beyond the barrier. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> I got a question. By the way, the uh, still the greatest path to NFL coaching success is just to be on the staff of Sean McVay. Once again, yeah. Raheem Morris, new head coach of Atlanta. He takes the uh, Zach Robinson, the quarterback's coach, passing game coordinator as the OC. How about McVay? He's going to lose his D.C., but that's okay because he's just going to be able to bring back the D.C. he had originally. Oh, that's right. And Brandon, Brandon Staley. Staley. I forgot about that. Oh, geez. Break-even guy over there. Oh, boy. Okay. yeah. That's assuming Staley goes back to the Rams because I know there's other teams looking at him, but would that surprise you if he got Brandon Staley back? absolutely not. Doesn't have to sell his house in L.A. or anything. He just goes over to the Rams facility. Does it surprise you guys that Belichick seems likely to where he's not going to coach, at least for this year, maybe does a TV deal and then tries to coach next year? It does not surprise me because ultimately to Give up the kind of control that you would think Bill Belichick would want to have. That's a hard, hard thing Agreed. to do. And you're not just talking about front office people that are like, yeah, let's, I agree, owner, let's bring him in. You're talking about the owner giving up mm-hmm. control. And I don't, I don't know how many people actually want to do that. And again, it's been brought up before, hasn't had a whole lot of success the last few years. There's no question he's the greatest coach in my mind ever, but... You know, time moves on, and we just talked about it with the analytics. And I'm not saying Bill Belichick hasn't been able to morph a little bit, but maybe that's part of it too. Did you see Good Morning Football tweeted out? uh, This is from their show, and they took a screenshot of the graphic. uh, Five media ideas for Bill Belichick. Number five, fishing show with Randy Moss. Number four, Patriots podcast with Bill Burr, a uh, comedian and uh, Pats fan. Saw me! And then you got uh, number three, Coach Cast with Nick Saban and Pete Carroll. Uh, number two is like 80s and 90s giant stuff, and they talk around. He sits and talks with Bill Parcells and Phil Sims and uh, Lawrence Taylor. And then number one, co host NFL Red Zone with Scott Hansen. So those were the media ideas for Bill Belichick. Something I saw as a media day, which I, or an idea, which I think would be great, is Jason Kelsey traveling and tailgating with different fan bases and really integrating himself into their culture yeah. I think would be so entertaining that would be good sort of like half cooking show half sort of like travel show sure right and you're you're he in the goes, parking hits up, lot hits up a local spot 
you I know, like day that. before the game. Yep, I like that. No, if you're listening, don't take my idea. Maybe I'll take it somewhere and... Danny. Then you won't be here in 2030. No, you don't know that. If Danny. Brandon Staley can go back to the Rams, <laughs> I could come back to the Cardinals, Darren. Danny, you should do your own tailgate show out on the Great Lawn and every week feature a different... Paul, fan tailgate. Now I know you if have. If I'm on the you job, have, I, I can't it. drink beer. And what fun is tailgating if I, I, you can't drink beer? I know it's kind of tough. You can't be two places Look, you can at still once. Have fun. You can still have fun it. if you're not drinking. You know, so <laughs> I'm just saying, maybe uh, in between the pregame. Are you trying show to kick me off get, one of the pregame no, radio shows I do with you? No, know, it'd be good. You'd be out there. You'd be able to handle. The, you know, you're more of a person of the people. You know, it'd be good. You know, Darren and I are a little too salty. Can I bring Darren as my bodyguard? Be good, yeah. Okay, all right. So uh, once again, uh, these socks will be going up on uh, eBay. I'm not really sure what to list them at, or maybe a local charity. Don't really know. Sort of like the uh, head coach of Oregon State when he left, he took all his gear and took it over to the local Goodwill, and then somebody got all the Jonathan Smith embroidered Oregon State gear. That that actually, this is random. <laughs> I guess not really coming off that in college. I remember I was like. I was driving with my friends and we see this guy walking on the sidewalk and he is in one of the shirts that has our sorority like letters on them. It's like from, I don't know, either a general t-shirt or like a date party. It was something specific to our sorority. It was very clear that somebody, one girl in our sorority like took old shirts she didn't wear and dropped them off at like Goodwill or something. (laughs) So funny. That's what that reminds me of. And that'll do it for this edition of Can't Top That One. Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.